Hello and welcome to the iChiefs podcast series brought to you by the International Association of Fire Chiefs. This is where new ideas are born, leadership skills are discussed, and engaging topics are brought to the table. I'm Tom Jenkins, Fire Chief of the City of Rogers, Arkansas, and a past IAFC president. And I'm Joe Powers, the managing director of IAFC's consulting firm, Emergency Services Consulting International. We're glad you're here. This podcast is designed for you and for the fire and emergency services community. Before we dig into this week's important topic, make sure to check out our library of episodes at iefc.org slash podcasts and listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you think the content is great, go ahead and share it with your crew. All right, today is another podcast where we're talking about true change agents in the field of fire and emergency services leadership. And, you know, of all the topics that Joe and I have the privilege of of covering with guests that join the podcast, I think talking to people that are practitioners and that are really doing the work is probably the most rewarding uh, for me. And so, uh, uh, so not just uh, a well-decorated fire chief uh, who who came up through the ranks in the city of Tucson, but Chris Bloom is also uh, somebody I'm claiming to be a cousin uh, who is serving as the city of Meridian, Idaho's fire chief for about the last three years. And what we're, what Joe and I are, ha- had the opportunity to extract from him today is all of the things that he's had to do and manage and the way in which he's had to be a transformational leader in a city that is prospering and growing. And so Chris, we are, delighted that you're here with us today. Thanks for taking some time out of your day to visit with us and our, our podcast listeners. It's a privilege. Uh, it's a privilege to be here, cousin. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell us this. So we, 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 as I mentioned to you before we started the podcast, one of the things that I get anecdotally when I'm, when I'm out and about is, is I'll have a lot of our listeners indicate that they listen because they're trying to learn all the little, you know, all the little tidbits they can because they want to be usually a five bugle chief one of these days. And there was a time period that was you, and now you're in the hot seat. You've uh, you've you've taken over a role that, by all accounts, is is putting you in a position to grow the organization, change the organization, and influence public safety and public safety policy in that wonderful city. Tell, tell us about your path to get there and, and what, what you kind of did along the way that worked and, and, and maybe even some lessons that you might share with some of our listeners. Man, well, thank you, Tom. And thank you, Joe, again, for the opportunity and privilege to be on this morning with you guys. You know, I, I, that's, a, that's a really peel the, peel the curtain right back, you know, uh, who I am. Um, well, you know, I ended up, I was an Air Force brat. Uh, meaning my father, my family, we were military. And my father ended up uh, stationed down at uh, Davis Monthan in Tucson, Arizona. And I ended up going to the University of Arizona. And after I graduated, I, you know, I was probably like many 20 somethings, didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do or kind of anchor myself to, but I was always committed to this notion of, of serving others. Uh, and, and that's, there was various experiences that I'd had uh, previously. And, in the service realm and and what i noticed was that the fire service represented a unique opportunity to be a service deliverer to the community to 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 make to to show up on people's worst day and make things better so i was very fortunate i tested with tucson fire department 
um, got the job opportunity. And it's funny because as I've laid in bed at night over the past 25 years, I'll never forget the day that I got the phone call that said that, you know, congratulations, you're going to be in this uh, upcoming fire academy. It was over the moon and I've never lost sight of that day. But uh, I worked from being a firefighter there through, you know, captain, paramedic captain. And then I retired uh, as a chief officer after I had uh, worked down there for over 20 years. <clears throat> but the retirement only came when I uh, received the notification of an appointment to a fire chief job at, back home for me. And, and home is Idaho. Uh, I was born in Boise. My family, mother and father's side, all live up in, uh, in the state of Idaho. And so the opportunity and the privilege to come up here. Uh, you know, again, I'll never forget that phone call. It was the it was the second time in 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 my life that I received a phone call that was, um, uh, man, I, I've never been more terrified, excited, uh, sad. I mean, I I love the people that I worked with uh, in Tucson. I love the community that I served down there, but I also saw that there was an opportunity to do more, to be more, to give back more to the profession, and uh, you know, it was interesting because. When I left Tucson, there was a, there was a fire chief that I think the world of Brad Bradley down at Northwest Fire uh, Department, Fire District, and uh, you know he and I had a phone call, and I I was giving him all of my fears and worries, and so kind of to the point, you know that new fire chief coming into the role, what, you know where where do you, what is your network? And certainly it was people that I knew that were five bugle, and I said, hey, tell me what I need to know. And I'll never forget the thing that he left me with at the, at the conclusion of our phone call. And he said, and it's it's kind of a platitude that we hear in the fire service, but he said, earn it every day. And, you know, that platitude turned into a maxim for me. And it's sort of one of those things where the question, you know, had I earned it every day of the preceding 20 years? Um, well, I, I definitely know that now I'm, I'm, you know, quote unquote, the man in the arena, the person at the center of attention, and I do need to earn it every day. And so that's something that kind of I, I self-check myself every day, uh, you know, hey, and, and, you know, days are long, weekends are short, uh, not shift work anymore. Right. So uh, but it's but it's everything that I ever thought it would be and, and more. And I'm thrilled to be here in Meridian, Idaho. Yeah, that's a really cool story. And uh, I, other than the, the huge temperature change between uh, Tucson <laughs> and Idaho, um, I'm assuming you guys probably have some snow on the ground. But uh <laughs> yeah, as as we do here in Virginia too, which is which is not unlike uh, Virginia. But um, so when we were talking and when we were kind of planning out having having you as a uh, as a guest on our podcast, um, I heard a little bit about Meridian. And over the last few years, you guys have had some explosive growth. Um, and you know, I can't I can't call we can't call you a new fire chief anymore because I think you've been in the seat for about three years now. Um, but in the in that first three years. You, you've led the department through a, a, a fair amount of change and a fair amount of growth. Um, talk to us a little bit about what, kind of define what that change has been. What are the, what are the challenges that you did not foresee, um, you know, from the time that you got that phone call, hey, you're going to be the fire chief in Meridian, and three years later, wow, that was uh, not what I, it wasn't what I expected or wasn't was what I expected. Yeah. Yeah, man, you guys come up with great questions here, Joe, that, uh, uh, so it's interesting, you, you know, um, coming up here, everything, every day, it, it, you know, the platitude of the idea that you're drinking from the fire hose, uh, sipping from the fire hose. Well, that's what it was. I mean, literally. And, and what I recognized immediately was, 
as an outside chief coming into an organization that had a very healthy, strong organizational culture, I need to recognize, I needed to recognize that my job largely was about listening and leaning into conversations and building networks of trust and communication through open and transparent dialogue, follow through on actions. And, and that sort of was preamble to any of the future discussions and dialogues because I knew that change was necessary. And change is a, is a, it's a challenging subject for the fire service. Well, it's probably a challenging, uh, a challenging situation for, for most people, uh, in most situations in most professions, but certainly in the fire service, um, when you have a new fire chief coming in, you can only expect change. And there's a lot of fear that comes along with, well, what change is that? And I think that people much smarter than me that have said that people that are resistant to change fear loss. Well, I would agree with that. Um, and so it was my job to sort of navigate that space of understanding that there was change that was going to be necessary. And at what rate could change be administered and, and managed? And, you know, we go back to the fire academy experience, National Fire Academy, where leadership on the line, you know, we, we want to uh, regulate the temperature of the room. You know, it can't be too cold, it can't be too hot. So we have to kind of, um, you know, push that zone of uncomfortability. And, and when I got here, you know, I was amazed at the quality of the organizational culture, right? You know, people were, were genuinely working hard, doing amazing things, leaning into programs and projects. Um, are uh, the, the responders of people that are on the line on the floor? Uh, th they are incre they're incredible. I, I couldn't believe uh, you know they, they they are physically fit. There there's a culture of training that I inherited coming here. People are excited about those opportunities to train and grow and, and to do things. And so I think that with what I was given, uh, it it was it was only it was an easy swing at the plate. It really really was because everything the groundwork was laid, but. <clears throat> then you ask the question, Joe, about, you know, this exponential growth uh, that the communities had. Ex use the word explosive growth. <laughs> That's a term that we're trying to get away from because it is <laughs> so impressive, the amount of growth that's happened in the Treasure Valley and certainly in the city of Meridian. And, you know, Meridian has been the fastest growing city in the state of Idaho since 1994. And over the past 10 years, they've had annual growth of between 8 and 15%. That growth is when, when you think about that, those are those are those are humans, those are families, but then those are rooftops. And our rooftops have gone from being a in this community. If I've looked back over it historically, we've gone from being a bedroom community, single family homes, to bedroom community with vertical spaces and now commercial industrial showing up and all of the things that you all of the trappings of a mini metro um, and you know one of the one of the early indicators is you know starting to look at uh, w when i got here was okay so how well are we situated in our community to manage the emergencies that the community has how can we prevent those emergencies from happening in the first place was is is central to that discussion from a risk reduction perspective but you know, when we started looking at our response times being over 12 minutes, 
you know, at the 90th percentile going through, we, we went through, and I'll, I can get to that later, but the process of accreditation. But, uh, you know, when you, you started to look at that, it's like, how can that be? How is that possible? Well, there was a lot of structural constraints, whether it was, you know, with our partnerships uh, in the dispatch center, whether it was the, as I said, with the growth, we had roadways that were not, that are not up to being able to accommodate emergency traffic. Um, and, and then, of course, we just had the size of the agency. And so looking at all of those things from a, from a holistic perspective, we've, we've developed an approach to mitigating that and improving all aspects of, of public safety and emergency response here in Meridian. I have uh, I have like nine more questions I think I want to ask you, uh, but I, I, I think I want to target my t- I've got two. Okay, so Joe always relates a number of questions. I like that uh, you used an example. You said uh, earn it every day, and I was thinking between Joe and I, we probably earn it like every other week. I think <laughs> it's probably where we're at. So this is good that we're here talking with you. Um, no, I. I was talking with John Oates yesterday who retired out of East Hartford, you know, and runs the international public safety data Institute. And we were uh, reminiscing about a few things, but one of uh, his comments stuck with me for today. He said, uh, you know, one of the blind spots that a lot of fire chiefs uh, have, and and I think I haven't just wrapped up a couple of weeks ago, a uh, 26 year career wearing a uniform. One of the, uh, one of the, you know, I guess fair criticisms of most programs is we don't know what it's like to work for ourselves, right? We, we do all these things to learn from others and uh, formally and informally, but I'm curious with somebody as, as professional as you and who have, I mean, you, you have a distinct advantage in that you've seen, uh, you've seen more than one fire department and, and, and you definitely bring to the table a lot of skills that are, are probably obvious to others, maybe not as obvious to yourself. I'm, I'm curious, how would you describe as a brand new five bugle, not, not brand new, I'm sorry, Joe's right. As a, as a, as a somewhat seasoned. I'm, I'm, I'm brand new. I'm, I'm very brand new. Trust me. <laughs> I, after 15 years, I was still uh, Forrest Gumping my way through it too. So um, okay. I, uh, I'm curious, what, how, what do you think it's like? Like take us on, on what you think your staff would describe it's like to work for somebody like you who ha- is full of energy, has a lot of the right answers in their brain. What is what does that journey feel like, and what could we what could we learn from how you describe? It? Wow. So let's see here. <laughs> it depends on who you ask, but I can almost guarantee you unanimously, uh, they would say uh, I'm all gas, no break, and and that's not good. That that's that's how you burn staff out. Um, there, there's been a lot of energy exp- expended toward, um, you know, enhancing the organization's ability to position itself well within the community to manage emergency calls that we get. What I, what I would say is as people would look, uh, at the, the leadership that I have tried to exhibit with the organization is it has been honest. It has been transparent. But it's been challenging. And I mean, I, I, I say this, I, you know, I have three deputy fire chiefs that are the number two in the organization. I know some people call them assistant chiefs, but the deputies, I have three of those. And I will tell you that the counsel that they have offered me has been profound. And, and, I, and I appreciate them more than they'll ever know because they'll come into my office, shut the door and say, hey, we need to talk. And whether it's been, hey, 
hey boss too much time out like i'm doing this i'm doing this i'm doing this i need some relief here and you know and then i'll have you know another another deputy come in shut the door and say hey we got some issues going on on the line and, and here's here's what people are talking about and 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 again i mean i i take those as opportunities uh to listen and and to say okay well how do we fix that how do we address that how do we deliver on the promise that we've made that we are a values-driven mission-focused organization how do we do those things and and again i think that those deputies have, have recognized their role that you know i'm not just one person in an office by myself we are a team and and this this administrative team that i have that i've been able to build and put together over the past three years is remarkable i have some of the best leaders in the country that i get the privilege of working with every day and they make me better every day and so i think that if what i would hope is that the the people that i have the privilege of serving with would say about me is that i'm i'm willing to listen and, I, and i'm willing to work through challenging situations um, earnestly um, and, and 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 value people I, I value you know the internal and external relationships that that a fire chief need, needs to have and and um, that's that's what I would hope people would say so yeah Tom does ask really good questions and, and gets you thinking so I, uh, we, we told you we wouldn't throw you any uh, curveballs but um, I think Tom go for it yeah. they got a gold star on that one that was great there was no curveball <laughs> All right, I'm going to switch gears real quick. One, I'm going to do a shameless plug, and then I'm going to tie it back into some of the experience, Chris, that you and I have had together. So um, they have the, uh, the Community Risk Reduction Leadership um, Symposium, which is an IFC conference, um, is uh, is right around the corner. It's May 14th through the 16th in uh, kind of in your, in your old backyard in Glendale, Arizona. Um, and you and I have sat at the same table a couple of times talking about what, you know, really it's always been my passion. I think it has a lot to do with you, too, from a community risk reduction standpoint. Um, you know, over the last three years in, in Meridian, you know, you've you've seen three new fire stations. Um, you, you have a, a pretty cool um, scenario village that you've built out. Um, you've increased your staff by, you know, almost 40 percent. How are you using? Here's where it ties back in. How are you? <laughs> those ideas of community risk reduction, risk-based deployment, risk-based service delivery, how are you using community risk reduction to drive what you should be doing? Because you can't do everything in Meridian um, because one, you don't have the staff because you're growing so quickly. You don't have the money. How are you using community risk reduction to drive that? Joe, great question. Uh, let's, let's see here. Let me, where do I, where, where do I start? Um, uh, interestingly enough, when I got here, the organization was, was um, you know, uh, had a community risk reduction division um, under the disguise of public education. And, and, and it was situated under the deputy chief of, of our, our fire marshal uh, under prevention. And over the past three years, we've actually unfortunately had two of the people, the two people that were in that division, retire just time out well, one of them retired and then the other one moved on to you know another another agency and and so it's really given us an opportunity to sharpen the pencil so to speak and, and refocus and recenter what it is to develop a strategic community risk reduction um, program and so one of the first things that we did was we renamed the division from public education 
to community risk reduction. And one of the things that I, I chose to do working with um, my chief officers was I actually moved risk reduction out of prevention and I put it in health and safety. I have a division chief of health and safety. And so it, what, what we found was every issue that this chief is dealing with in health and safety has a direct correlation to community risk reduction, whether it's internal to the organization or out, outwardly toward toward the community. So we, we've situated that, that staff and that division under health and safety. And actually, shameless plug, if I may do one as well, um, we're currently recruiting for a risk reduction manager and as well as two community risk reduction specialists that, that we're going to be hiring in the next, well, hopefully six to eight months. And that will allow us to uh, chart a course, uh, lay a path forward with the vision of what a strategic integrated community risk reduction program looks like in the city of Meridian. And certainly it's going to be heavily leveraged on data collection. And, and again, I think that this is one of the things to get back to Tom's question, new fire chief, I'll tell you something, uh, you know, data is everything. And I'll tell you, I, for 18, 15 years of my career, RMS reports, what, whatever, man, like I, I didn't really pay any attention to that. I didn't pay attention to those tangible metrics that you get through data that are essential in, in um, making informed decisions. And I think that what one of the, one of the, you know, the, the phraseology that I heard was, if you don't have data, all you have is an opinion. And data has really been a powerful tool of leverage in, you know, getting a city council and a mayor to approve two fire stations, to onboard 35 firefighters, to accept a safer grant that we just got this fall for another 18 firefighters. So it's it's all of those things that it's it's heavily leveraged on data. Take that to the community risk reduction realm, and it's it's very easy for us to quantify loss. And and I think as a fire service, we do a great job at demonstrating loss. We, you know, the, the front page, the front cover of of most of the publications of our industry have images of loss, people's homes burning down. And I think that it's because it's easy. I know it's it's the iconography that we have related to our profession, but it's easy to show loss. What's difficult is, and I know Joe, you and I have talked about this at the NFA, the National Fire Academy, is it's it's very challenging to quantify what was saved, what wasn't lost. And I really believe, going back to the point on data, that's where we can demonstrate that is through having clear, good, quality, I mean, we need to have uh, defensible, intelligent data to make the case that we need more resource or in some cases less resource and 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 really focus on what resource needs needs are required and, and data does that for us. I love that. And um, especially in my current role, I love hearing you say that. Let me ask you this, that, that I, I appreciate that you know, you shared kind of an epiphany that you went through. I don't know that it was um, fr from a time perspective, it was that dramatic, but you talked about, hey, at one point in time, you know, doing um, an incident report was a chore. And at some at some other juncture in your career, you realize that's not the case, that that in order to have good decisions being made by those with gold bugles, 
They've got to have good information. They've got to have good information or they're just very unlikely to make good decisions. And, you know, as we kind of wrap up now uh, and, and with you having the experience that you have, what, what other what other things do you wish you would have learned before you became fire chief? If, do you have one or two others that, that just they jump out at you? Because you're an EFO grad. You're somebody who definitely did the things that uh, that that somebody aspiring for for the role you're in should do. But what else is out there that you might share with our listeners? You know, Tom, that's a great question. And and it's it's funny because I think it's a great question in the sense that when you ask it, I completely go blank. What what would the answer possibly be? But I I could think back on two two very specific things. And and one of which is, you know, I I was with a metro agency for 15 years before I was even aware that there was a place called the National Fire Academy. I had never been to any conferences. There weren't any opportunities for, um, you know, and I shouldn't say there weren't any opportunities. I was unaware of any other opportunities. I was completely surrounded by a metro agency that did a terrific job with training, education, continuing education. Um, You know, it was a one-stop shop and I never needed or never felt like I needed to go anywhere else. And it wasn't until I became a battalion chief and and somebody said, you know, you should really look at the National Fire Academy and the Executive Fire Officer Program. I'm like, what the heck is that? Because at that point in, in a metro agency, almost 700 member department, there were two people that had gone through the EFO program and one of which had retired. So it, it really wasn't organizationally, I don't want to say supported, but it wasn't um, pushed. So what I would say for people, regardless of the agency, the size or wherever you're looking, you need to expand your network. You need to get beyond the agency that you're working in. And, you, you, you know, you, you need to travel nationally. You need to go to uh, CPSC's Excellence Conference. You need to go to um, Vision 2020. You need to go to these things. And I don't care, honestly, if it costs you because the return on investment is profound because what you're doing is you're developing your network. You're becoming more intelligent about the profession and the craft. And I'll tell you, that's something that I wish I would have um, been more aware of uh, much, much, much earlier on. And as far as the last thing, uh, boy, I'll tell you, you, you uh, moving, moving your family, across the country away from their you know parents and you know grandparents because we're blessed to have a a son Um, but moving across the country uh, you know you you really need to have a family that's all in on 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 the uh, on the move and i'm very fortunate that i that i was um, because you it's you're putting it all on the table i mean it was very comfortable and easy being in tucson as a battalion chief I could have done that for another 15 years and been, you know, but I felt like I had more to give. I felt like there was more in the tank and I felt like I had an opportunity to lead uh, an organization and do a good job at it. So um, that's, that's one of the things that I would say. And, you know, and, and uh, when you go all in on this, you you have to be all in on it. Um, it's, it's an all or nothing sort of, sort of, because there is no ba- backup plan and, you know, you have to sort of recognize too. I would say um, 
that the fire chief job, the fire chief position is a terminal position. You're done when you're done. And I think that there are two ways that fire chief leave, leave office. It's you're fired or you, it was, it was your time. Like you chose to leave. So you leave on your own terms. And so I think that going into that, I had to recognize it's like my shelf life is, is approaching the, the end. Even before I began as a fire chief, I just had to recognize that there was, there was a, there was a, you know, I'm at the end of the rope. Well, I'll say this cousin that um, for somebody that's, uh, you know, been in, in place for, uh, uh, you know, three years, give or take, I think that uh, you have, you speak with experience and and from a perspective that if you told me you had 30 years chief and I'd, I'd believe every ounce of it. And I, so I, I take a I lot of, enough, I don't have enough gray hair yet. <laughs> yeah, I've got it. I got the yeah. gene. Joe so did when I got it. up here, I didn't have any. Now I got plenty. So. Oh yeah, that'll happen. Um, so we've had the opportunity mm-hmm. today to visit with Chris Bloom of the Meridian Idaho fire department who, um, you know, is 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 in a a season of his career in which he's making change. He's he's been through his honeymoon, and I think that uh, for our listeners out there, there's there's a lot to take away from this conversation, including a good book title, um, "All Gas No Brakes." So I just <laughs> I want you to know, like I'm doing that. I don't know who I'm going to sell it to, but I like that. I, I wrote it down. Yeah. Um, well, it's not mine. I I I. I Sure, I don't have an original thought in my head. I, I, I'm good with parroting other people's thoughts. <laughs> Those are the most intelligent people normally. Um, so from from all your experience and, and uh, the advice from Chief Bradley about you earning it every day, I think it's good for you to know from a couple of colleagues in the business, it's apparent to me that unless you fooled me, that you're earning it every day. And so I, I appreciate you sharing with us, sharing with our listeners, and I hope that they're able to to take away just a, at least a few nuggets, because uh, I know there's a lot more than, than just a few here. Thanks so much, Chief, for joining us today. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, you, Joe and Tom. Thank you. So, so for the people that are listening, if you want to check out what's going on in Meridian, which we just learned is uh, since 1990-something is the fastest growing city in the state of Idaho, you can see what Chief Bloom is doing at meridiancity.org slash fire. That's an organization that has grown a lot. And so Uh, Of all the problems you can have as fire chief, the problems of growth are usually the ones you want to pick, but a lot to learn from that organization and the good work that Chris is doing. And also uh, a little unorthodox for our podcast, but appropriate nonetheless, is that you've got two items of homework if you're a listener. The first is to see what your calendar looks like for the Community Risk Reduction Leadership Conference coming up in mid-May. That's a wonderful opportunity to not just interact on a topic that is vital to our business, but also uh, you're likely to run across some of uh, some of my colleagues here uh, sharing the screen with me and, and be able to interact with people that are really making a difference. Your second item of homework is that if you're uh, a member of a fire department and uh, you learn the acronym NFA for the first time today, then I, I know I can speak for Eric Gablix and say, uh, why, don't you, why don't you get online and see what the NFA has to offer you and your job and where you're currently focused. Thanks to uh, our guest, of course, and for our listeners, we encourage you to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to it on Apple, Google, Spotify. And if you like what Joe and I are doing, trying to to come across wonderful practitioners in our business and leave us a rating, let us know that you enjoyed the content. Last but not least, recommend the podcast to other chiefs that 
our reach and our marketing budget is only so robust. And so we're heavily relying on people to share uh, what we're trying to do. We appreciate you joining us today. We hope that you learned something from Chief Bloom. Be safe out there. We'll talk again soon. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.